I have returned. And this week, y'all, I have a guest with me. Special guest. You've seen him on Sports Talk 2319. He's a columnist over there. He hosts his own podcast, Mark My Words. He's a graduate of Lincoln University. And, Mark, you might have the thickest eyebrows in sports media, man. <laughs> That's the first time I heard that, but yeah, you might be right. Welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate you having me, man. It's a pleasure. No doubt. How are we doing today? I'm doing good, man. I can't complain. You know, it's Friday. The weekend's here. The weather's nice in L.A. today, so it's a good day. So the weather's always nice in L.A., man. I'm out here in Memphis. It's muggy. You stick. You go outside for two seconds, you, you're going to come back in drenched in sweat. So uh, you definitely man, living, living a good that. life out there. Yeah, I know that humidity, humidity out there must be crazy. It's different. It is absolutely different. But hey, that, that's why the South produces some of the best football players in the country. That we just, we just built different out here, man. <laughs> I feel that. But uh, you, you know Rob Parker, right? Oh yeah, yeah, close friend, yeah. Cool, because I actually had him on the show a couple episodes back, and you know if I. If I say so myself, I, I think I smoked him. We had a, a Stephen Curry debate. I, I, by my vantage point, I smoked the dude. That's, that's excellent cash. So I just want you to know up front, full disclosure, I don't take it easy on my guests here. Oh, no, nah, bring it, man. Bring it. <laughs> no doubt, man. No I, know, doubt. I, know Rob, I know Rob hates on Steph, too, so I'm glad you got at him. Oh, no doubt. For no reason. For no reason. No reason. No reason. Um, But enough about what I've done. Um, I want to talk about you a little bit. You're one of the up-and-comers in this really what's you know like i know it's a competitive industry um just walk me through how you got to this point well so i mean i should take you all the way back uh, growing up i always played sports basketball football baseball but in high school that's when i really started focusing on baseball i actually played for all four years of varsity from a high school baseball team in Kansas City. Okay. And I, I could have pursued a college route, but for some reason, I don't know why, I just lost kind of the passion for playing. Mm-hmm. Just especially, you know, in college, it's just that daily grind of going to practice, then going to class and trying to stay on top of everything. It was just too much. Yeah. So I wanted to figure out a way to still stay involved in sports without actually playing it. So what better way than to talk about it, right? Yeah. So I became the head sports writer and commentator for my school at Lincoln University in Missouri. So I was writing for the school paper. I was a color commentator for the basketball and the football team. You know, just doing that and then as well as writing for different websites just across the country digitally and just gaining all that experience while building up a social media following just really made me become, I guess we could say what I am today, you know, um, writing for Sports Talk 2319 with Rashad Phillips and things of that nature. I wrote for Fansided before and other websites as well. So, you know, I just think all those experiences and meeting the right people have helped me uh, get to this point. Gotcha. And you talked about building a social media following. I have a question here from one of my viewers um, I was going to save it for the end, but it really fits into what you're talking about right now. And it's like once you step into this industry, right, everybody, you know, there, there's a ton of people out there that want to be sports writers, that want to be in sports media. They want to be analysts. Um, and it's easy to say, hey, I'm a sports analyst, but it's another thing to actually garner a following. Right. 
and uh yeah. it's difficult it's frankly a difficult thing it's something that i'm trying to figure out for myself um and my viewer asks you know once once you get your feet wet in the industry a little bit how do you take that next step in, in advancing your career and garnering a larger platform um well i think it, it really stems from just being genuine like especially on twitter mm. like you know obviously it can be a very um polarizing app as you know no doubt. but once you really are firm in what you say and your takes even if it's not a popular opinion and you stick with it people really uh gravitate to that and you know once you just really just kind of figure out what your target market is and what's your audience i think that's how you really build a, a social media following and you know like companies and stuff look at that stuff now like that's kind of a part of the the hiring process like yeah. they look at your your interactions and you know your uh, your likes and retweets and stuff like that like it, it might sound silly but like they do put that in into some consideration and you know obviously the more important thing is your actual work you know what are you doing how's your writing uh, how are you on camera how's your reel you know things like that mm -hmm. but your social media does play a factor as well gotcha that it does. Um, that, that's pretty good insight because I, I think what is it around? You have around twenty thousand followers on Twitter. Uh, almost eighteen. I got seventeen point nine right now. Yeah, that that's a lot more than I. I'm sitting at around one eighty, so that that's a lot better than most people can can peg their names to. Um, but like you said, you're over there at Sports Talk twenty three nineteen now, and you know the the vibe is very interesting from what I can gauge. It, it's it's a little bit more grassroots underground, but it's still, there's a professionalism to it. Um, talk to me how you like it over there versus, you know, working at, at some of these bigger networks, right? Well, what's the difference between something like sports talk to 2319 and working at like an ESPN or a Fox? Um, because at sports talk 2319, you can really make your own mark, you know, because we're like on the come up, right? Mm-hmm. But like you said, it still has an underground feel, but it's still known at the same time. You know, it's like yeah. we're in a weird space right now, you know? Yeah. And I have so much confidence in it that it's going to become like a ESPN or whatever, you know, or Rivals or Scout, you know, or Fox. Mm -hmm. So it's just dope to be a part of it because you know it's going to be so big and you can say that you were one of the first ones that was on board helping it get to that point. So it's kind of like, a, it's a fun journey that you to be on. Because, you know, if you're on ESPN, you're already a part of a established organization. Right. You know, nothing's wrong with that, obviously. But, you, you know, you didn't build it. You just kind of got on to something that's already been established for decades. But being a part of 2319, you're one of the first ones that you could actually say, well, I was one of the first, like, you know, pioneers to help it help it grow, you know, and Rashad Phillips is a great, uh, great leader. Uh, he's very relatable. You can talk to him about anything. So it has a real family vibe to it. I think that's what uh, attracts me a lot. I feel you, man. Building something from the ground up. You know, even when you go back to, I don't know if you ever played Madden or, or 2K, but you have the whole idea of the, the My League, right? And you get to go start with your own oh, team yeah. and draft your own players like that. That's always been fun for a lot of people, myself included, to, the idea of building something yourself rather than kind of hitching your wagon to something that's already established. But um, I definitely understand exactly. where you're coming from there. 
Um, but enough about your background. I'm glad to get that uh, the viewers a little bit more understanding of where you're coming from. Um, but Mr. Kansas City, Mr. Kansas City, you're from Kansas City. You're a Chiefs fan, so you knew this was coming, right? What are your thoughts on the Patrick Mahomes 10-year, $503 million extension, man? I got to hear about it. Uh, I think it's a great deal, especially for the Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes could have honestly demanded more, if we're being honest. Yes. Um, he, left, he left the Chiefs a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility, especially in the early years, like the first three years, he's going to be making less than Ryan Tannehill. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed money in the first three years. So these next three years are going to be huge as far as uh, GM, Brad Veach, in the organization, Andy Reid, mm -hmm. uh, continuing to build around him while you have that flexibility. And then after that, that's when the numbers start getting ridiculous. But the Chiefs have outs to where they can reconstructure the deal. And Patrick Mahomes has been very open, even before this process and now after, that, you know, the money isn't really the big issue for him. You know, I mean, he grew up with his dad playing professional baseball, and he doesn't, he doesn't strike you as a guy that's super money-hungry. And mm. not to mention, he's going to make so much money just in endorsements, let alone with the Chiefs. So... I think he's a guy that really cares about winning, and I don't think he's going to handicap the Chiefs as far as building around him because he wants to win as many rings as possible. I mean, he's very open in saying that. Without really saying it, he's really open in saying that he wants to be the greatest of all time, and he wants to start collecting rings. So I think I don't, I don't think it's a great marriage. I think he's comfortable with the Chiefs and Andy Reid, and I think now we're going to see Reid probably coach longer than he even expected because who wants to just leave in the middle of Patrick Mahomes' prime? He's right. not even in his prime. He's only 24 years old. So he has like another two or three years before he's actually in his prime technically, which sounds crazy. Yeah, that, that that's, and believe me, I know Andy Reid as well as the back of my hand. I've been an Eagles fan for my entire life. So uh, it's definitely good to see him kind of get attached to somebody like Patrick Mahomes because I've always thought that Andy Reid is a guy who deserves to win a lot of Super Bowls. Um, just never really had the right opportunity in Philadelphia. But like you said, man, I feel like he got less than what he's worth. And, and he's one of these rare players, right, that come along in sports. We think about the the, the LeBrons, the the Mike Trouts, the Jordans, the the people that are almost, the, you can't quantify what they're worth to not just the, the organization, but the sport itself. And, and that almost warrants a blank check, right? Like you can just hand the, the, the check to whoever, and they write whatever number they want, and that's what we're going to pay you. He's one of those dudes, right. and for him to have, you know, if I'm his agent, I would have said, I want not a dollar amount, but a, a percentage of the cap every single year. I want a 15 to 20 percent uh, percentage of whatever the cap space is, because the numbers look enormous right now, like you said, right? Like, in the later years, they get pretty big, but we have to remember, that cap goes up like $10 million every year. So it's going to look right. flamboyant right now, but when we look at it 10 years down the line, when the caps increase by $40 million or what have you, it's not going to be that much. And we could be looking at Patrick Mahomes as having one of the more favorable contracts in all of football. So I, I agree with you. He's definitely 
biting a little bit to to try to make sure that he still has pieces around him. And you mentioned this on your podcast. The dudes that he have has around him now, the Tyree Kills, the Travis Kelsey's, the um the Clyde Edwards Hilaire's, the Damian Williams, those guys are all in it for the long haul, essentially. They've already signed their extensions, they're attached to the team uh for the near future. So at least in these next three, four years, that's gonna be a Super Bowl contender year in and year out, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you look at I'm going a little off here, but as far as, I say LeBron, but as far as Mahomes being uh, a global icon, I think he could be the one of the first NFL players, at least in recent memory, to actually can make the game become global. Because, you know, obviously we know football is the most popular sport in this country, but outside of the U.S., it's not really that popular like the, like the NBA is. The NBA is a very global sport, as we know. Yeah. But... I think Mahomes' style of play plus his success could attract fans from all over the world because unlike Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes has a wow factor to his game Mm -hmm. plus winning. So if you can have the wow factor and you're winning Super Bowls, that combination right there I think can make the game become global because I think Tom Brady's the GOAT right now currently, and that, but we say that because of his accomplishment. We don't think Tom Brady's actually the best football player or even the best quarterback because from a talent perspective, Mahomes is way more talented than Tom Brady. He's not yeah. even close. Cause Tom Brady can't move around outside the pocket and make plays like that. So if Mahomes can win rings with that style of play, I think he could take the game to a whole different level that we've never seen before globally. A comparison that we've seen a lot, right? And I know I'm not the first person to say this, but it's Curry-like, right? When we think about what Stephen Curry did for the NBA, not just in terms of changing the way the game is played, but just his style of play. It was so just new to everybody. It's something that we hadn't seen before. And the fact that he was able to shoot from wherever on the court, it was it was revolutionary. Patrick Mahomes has that same sort of generational talent. And it's just like, that's something that you just have to sit there and watch. So it wouldn't shock me at all. It would just be a matter of because basketball is played all over the world, all of those fan bases have somewhat of a regular uh, or they have an assessment of what the game is. Football is not one of those games where they play it in China and they play it in Africa and they play it in Europe. It's kind of few and far between. So it'd be a matter of getting the NFL into the homes of people that are not in America. Um, But if anyone's going to warrant that, it's Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, not to cut you off. They're slowly trying to get it there. You know, we have games every year. Uh, where do they play the games at? I can't remember right they now. They play them in, in Mexico Europe, City, really? and then they play yeah. them in, like, uh, I want to They play in some London, soccer London, stadium. right? Yeah, London. I think it's London. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's slowly getting there. So, who knows? Maybe over, you know, as time goes on, those countries and cities over there, they start playing the football, American football. Who knows? I mean, but it could be a Mahomes that really – pushes that, that narrative and makes it happen. I mean, because he's just so fun to watch. And there's, there's a certain style of play, too, right? Even when we think about a guy like Kobe Bryant, right? People were shooting trash or, or paper balls into trash cans saying Kobe. Now they're saying Curry. It's really hard to do with football to market yourself with a certain style of play because football is generally played in a certain way. But we've seen it in recent years with Odell Beckham, right? The one-handed catch. Everybody's trying to replicate that. And now I'm seeing more and more quarterbacks try to do some of the things that Patrick Mahomes does, whether it's like a no-look throw or something like that or a sidearm across the field because he just has that certain style of play that makes you want to replicate it. So I I can definitely see it, man. I wouldn't put it past if anybody can do it. It's Patrick Mahomes, not just because of his his talent, 
but his personality as well. I mean, the dude's just so grounded and humble. Again, Curry like, and, and it's um, it's definitely fascinating to watch. And it's so hard to think about the fact that he's really just been in the league for three years. Three years. Yeah, yeah, and just like Curry, um, his dad is a professional athlete as well. Yeah, so. no doubt. And I was, I'm keep, I'm keep one nugget here. I'm keep from uh, some inside information here. Oh, very bet. rare. It's kind of been out there a little bit, so I'm not just I'm not breaking news or anything. But I, see. <laughs> I have a source. I have a source that that's told me that Mahomes has a behind the back pass of his sleeve. I'll be damned. I'm sorry. Like, I'll be, I'll be damned if I see somebody throw it behind their back on an on a NFL football field. That'll be the end of it. I, I, I had a little birdie whisper in my ear saying that he has a behind-the-back path up to sleep. So The day that happens, you're going to have to come back on my show and say that you called it because I will be damned. I, I played quarterback all the way through eighth grade, and it's hard enough to throw it regularly on a slant route. If he throws it behind his back, I... Oh my, even if it's just like a check down or something, that would be utterly, (laughs) again, just the arm talent though. Because something that people talk about with Patrick Mahomes, and when you watch tape of him, his, his arm, his throwing motion is not that great. It's, it's really kind of wacky, but it's one of those things to where it's like, it's, you, you don't want to touch it because it's so effective, right? And people, people, you want to generally throw over your shoulder, um, a hand to the to the inside of your groin. You want to pronate. I wouldn't touch anything that he does. So if he can pull that off, man, I, that'll be a first for sure. But um, hey, I wouldn't put it past the dude at this point. I want to look ahead Don't for this Chiefs team, though. I want to look ahead, and um, you're a Chiefs fan. You probably know the team a little bit better than I do. How do you envision the, the near future and then the, the distant future for this team? Because this is a ten year deal, right? I'm by the end by the end of his contract, I'm gonna be what, twenty nine years old, going on thirty? That's ridiculous to think about, but that's a long ass time. Right. So what do you see in the, the near future and the distant future for this uh Chiefs team? Well, the near future we're kinda of talking about how the next three to four years his contract is uh very team friendly, so I would expect them to win at least two more Super Bowls in the next uh, three or four years. I really believe so. Especially, I think they'll repeat this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because they just have such a big advantage, especially with the COVID-19 going on right now. So teams that had a lot of turnover haven't been allowed to really build with their new teammates in practice. There's no mini camps. Yeah. Train camp, we don't know exactly when that's going to start. So. You know, guys haven't had a chance to be in close contact with their new teammates while the Chiefs are returning 20 of their 22 starters. Mm. So, I mean, the core is all back. So it's not like the Chiefs needed a mini cap or anything to really know what's going on. They already have the chemistry intact. So I think that would be that's going to be a huge advantage for the Chiefs this season, which is why I think they will repeat. And, you know, it's, it's too hard to repeat. So... They'll lose probably next year, I don't know, to somebody. It's just too, NFL is just too hard to repeat, but they don't think they'll yeah. win the year after that. So they'll win two in the next three. And then long term, it just depends on how the Chiefs draft because obviously they won't be able to bring in the big-name stars. But I do think they'll be able to get those guys, you know, that are maybe high 20s, early 30s in age, have been a former pro bowler, mm-hmm. but they aren't quite the same how they used to be, but they're still pretty good. That will come to the Chiefs to take a, a discount if you try to win a ring. 
kind of like how remember when like the, like the Warriors, yeah. you know, like they were getting those those veteran guys that were former All Stars, but were still pretty good. But they just wanted to win a ring. Yeah. So they went to the Warriors, like how the Heat were with LeBron and them getting like you know the Rashard Lewis's, you know, and Ray Allen guys like that. I think the Chiefs would better get players like that on offense at least that would want to play with a Patrick Mahomes because. I mean, who wouldn't want to play with him once you're, you know, you already made your money, but you just don't have a ring. That's the only thing you have left on your resume you got to get. So I think they'll get those guys, but how they draft will be key. And no doubt. so far to this point, Brett Veach has shown us that he knows how to draft. So I don't think the Chiefs will have much problem in that area. I think they'll draft well, and they'll be, it'll just become uh, – it would just all it would just come down to Patrick Mahomes making guys look better than they really are. You know, you, you won't have the Tyreek Hills and the Kelseys and the Sammy Watkins his whole career. But I think he's shown that he can elevate guys' play, even those guys I mentioned. I mean, because those guys were still around when Alex Smith was the quarterback, but you know they were still productive. But we weren't looking at them how we look at them now. Mm-hmm. That's because of the Patrick Mahomes factor, right? And offensively, the the gamble you take when you give a guy that much money for that long of a period of time is you say, no matter what we put around him on offense, we're going to be okay because he's that talented. Where I get hung up is the defense because it it was give and take last season. It was all right. It had its moments where it was pretty good and it was all right when it needed to be. But there were a lot of lapses throughout the course of the season as well. So for you, are you confident in their ability to to keep pace with the other playoff teams that they're going to be competing with on the other side of the ball? Because, you know, with this deal, right, it could mean that Chris Jones might be on his way out because there, there might not, there might not be enough cap in the near future to keep him. Um, you got guys like Tyron Matthew, but outside of those two, you know, the defense could be hurting for talent in the near future. Yeah, and it comes back again to the drafting, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, they actually came, uh, they came to a four-cool zone, but not for um, that many years. Like, he wants $20 million a year. They could lock him up, let's say, for the next three or four years on a, let's say, a four-year deal, $80 million. Like, they could do that if they wanted to. Okay. Or if Chris Jones wants to. But as far as past that, then, yeah, probably not going to better happen because Mahomes left them with the ability to have some flexibility in the next few years. Um, you know, obviously, you mentioned Tyron Matthew. Frank Clark was huge for the Chiefs yeah. uh, in the postseason last year. He stepped up big. He's locked up. Um, you know, and they drafted their linebacking core is my biggest question mark. But I know they got this kid. His name's in my mind right now from Mississippi State. He's supposed to be really good. Our old Miss, I can't remember which one. One of the Mississippi well, Run the name back? He's, he's supposed to be. Uh, I can't. His name is in my mind right now, actually. Okay. But uh, he's from either Ole Miss or Mississippi State, and it got him the second or third round, I believe. Oh, you, you might be talking about Willie Gay. Athletic. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Willie there Gay. you go, yeah. Yeah, he's very he, good. Yeah, he just has very, a, some, some character issues. Yeah, he's, I heard he was supposed to be a first-round talent. Yeah. You know, that's But he fell because of his, his uh, off-the-field issues. So, I mean, you know, if that guy, if he could pan out, that, that would be a huge addition because he's very athletic. Uh, he's a guy that can move sideline to sideline, and that's the guy that the Chiefs were missing with their linebacking court because the Chiefs probably had one of the most unathletic linebacking courts last season. It was very annoying, to be honest with you. So I think having him would, would, could be a really big addition. And then, not to mention, people are forgetting Juan Thornhill got hurt last year in the middle of the season and missed the rest of the year. Mm. And him and Tyron Matthew were 
we're low-key becoming one of the best safety tandems in the league. So we, we have him back this year, fully healthy, motivated, knowing that he wasn't a part of that run last year. I think that could be really cool to watch. But, yeah, it's all about Chris Jones. That's the biggest question mark for this year. Will they lock him up? Will he play? Will he play on the, on the franchise tag or not? Will he sit out? So we'll have to see how that unfolds. Gotcha, man. All right, I want to transition um, on this note of groundbreaking revolutionary events. Right, We talked about the Patrick Mahomes contract. Another pretty revolutionary thing that happened, you had this five-star commit, Maker Maker. He, he committed to Howard University, which is an HBCU. We don't see that a whole lot, a whole lot having these marquee prospects commit to HBCUs. Um, you went to an HBCU, Lincoln University, so you probably have a better gauge on the situation than I do. What does this mean for the future of, of historically black college sports, man? Do you think this is a shift that we're witnessing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think this is great, man. It's something I've always been, you know, just talking about with my friends and stuff while I was going to my HBCU. Like, man, that'd be cool if, like, some of these top players went to HBCU because it's like, why not? Especially now in this climate because if you're, it doesn't matter. If you're going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, you're going to be a lottery pick no matter where you go because you're only going there for one year anyway. So it doesn't matter. People follow talent. They're going to know who you are. We have social media uh, if you go to, like, now, I guarantee you Howard's going to have games on ESPN mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So it doesn't really matter. You don't have to go to Duke or Kansas, North Carolina or whatever, Kentucky anymore. You don't have to do that. I mean, we have guys that go overseas now. Or now people are going to the G League. So I think it's going to open up doors to where now these guys are going to understand the power that they have. You know, you got guys like a Mikey Williams talking about going to HBCU as well. Yeah. Maybe Bronny, Bronny James might too. He's one of his best friends. So, you know, those happen. And we're talking about really ground shaking things because we know, obviously, uh, Maker's a five star recruit, so that's a great step. But uh, he's not. It's not quite the name that Mikey Williams or especially Bronny because he's the son of LeBron James. Mm-hmm. So like if if those were to happen, I think that would really really open up the floodgates for guys to follow. Where I get concerned in all of this is because I want it to happen. This is something that. Uh, I think it's frankly long overdue, and it's great that athletes are, are finally getting a grasp of the fact that, you know, I'm not a product of Duke University or Kentucky University. Their teams are a product of people like me, right? And I can go take my talents wherever I want, but we're in this this era, right, where we're seeing this G League thing come out. And, and in the near future, we could see this high school straight to the NBA, the, the thing that happened in the past, we could see that resurge, right? So I almost wonder if, it might be too late, right? Because the the real top guys, it wouldn't surprise me at all if by the time the 2023 draft comes around, Mikey Williams is making the jump straight into the NBA rather than going to an HBCU. Is that a concern of yours at all, that people are, are going to be going straight to the league rather than going to HBCUs? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a concern because I, I, I've always wanted them to go back to the high school, to the NBA thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous that they make guys go to college for one year because not only does it is it's, it's kind of pointless because right waste, you, yeah. the college game is like you don't get familiar with guys you don't know who, who's on who because there's so much turnover every year and it kind of hurts the college the product of the college game because you know it guys don't have the chemistry there's no camaraderie 
you know, because back in the day, man, you used to have guys playing like big guys, big name guys, like at least three to four years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with this one and done thing, it just kind of really oversaturated, I feel like, the market. But as far as the HBCU thing goes, I mean, you know, everybody's not a high school to the NBA guy, even if you're a five-star recruit. Yeah. It's just, you're just not. And, you know, we've seen guys in the past that have made that jump that they probably shouldn't have. So I think now with the more research, uh, the technology, uh, with guys having better people around them and their entourage, I think they're, they're more knowledgeable on uh, the gauge of where they really are. Mm-hmm. So just because you're a four or five star recruit doesn't mean you're going to be your uh, NBA guy immediately. Yeah. So you might need that year or two of college. So I still, I still think it will be possible for these guys to go to HBCU, but obviously not like the, the top, top guys like a Mikey Williams. Like if they say by then, Mikey, you can go to the NBA or go to HBCU, then Mikey, just go to the NBA. It's really not even you know, a question. For like those, yeah, but like, you know, maybe for like a maker, if that was possible for him, I'm not quite sure if he was, I'm not quite sure he'd go to the NBA straight out of high school. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there are and that that's the point i was going to bring up is that you know even though you might missing out on those five star guys you still got the four and three star guys that kind of fly under the radar and the the biggest thing that happens that happens that has to happen for me is the fact that you know it's one thing to say that these guys should be going and considering hbcus but you know if the locker rooms aren't as nice as some of the better schools or not better schools excuse me but the 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 nicer schools and more well-funded schools and, and the um the facilities aren't as good like we have to start pumping money into these programs as well if we want these guys to really consider it right and i think that maker is the the, the opening the door for that to happen but it's going to be on people within the black community to funnel money back into those HBCUs. So there's a real reason other than the fact that it's an HBCU to, to, to go to the school. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, initially, it's probably going to take a lot of the guys who are sacrificing yeah. just for uh, for the years to come. Because, like, for Baker, I mean, I know Howard's one of the most prestigious HBCUs. So they're probably better off than financially than other ones. But, you know... It still probably won't be to the level how it's going to be, or it shouldn't be, as after he leaves, right? Because right. he's the one that's uh, sacrificing himself for guys to follow after him. So it should be better after him. So, you know, initially, these first guys, these pioneers that first do it, you know, the Rockers might not be up to the level that, you know, that we would want, but after them, he'll get better because they're, they're going to be the ones that help bring in a lot of money. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I wanted to ask you this because, you know, kind of taking a step back from the world of sports and just looking at the world in general, um, I go to USC, that's a PWI, and in the heat of this social moment that we're in, right, a lot of PWIs like USC are really getting exposed for, you know, racist systems that they perpetuate within the school, um, and you lived at an HBCU, you went to an HBCU, so I wanted to get your your um, your take on it. What would be the advantage for a black person to go to an HBCU rather than a PWI? Because I frankly don't know. Oh, man, that's a good question. Uh, I would just say, you know, just being around like-minded people, you know, it's just it's refreshing, you know, because yeah. I'm sure you experience that at PWI, you know, you probably get in a lot of uncomfortable situations at times, you know, <laughs> Is expected. I mean, but, you know, 
But at the same time, you know, it, it also can help you become a better person, too, because you start learning, like, other people's backgrounds, right? Yeah. So, you know, I know, like, USC at Dick for um, their Asian community. Yeah, uh, international, wrong, really, in general. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and obviously, like, uh, a lot of white students as well. So, I mean, but I would say the HBCU experience, though, is just, you know, you don't, you don't worry about getting judged. You don't have to worry about, like, trying to fit in because you know it's just like we're all there with a, a similar common goal you know and that's just to really you know you learn about yourself you know your background because you know and growing up in the school system I mean I speak for myself here and I went to like majority black schools my whole life but you know like during like high school and middle school and stuff like the history you learn is basically European history, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like, you can venture to speak beyond yourself, man. It, 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 that's that's public schooling in general. You learn, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right. So, you know, when I went to HBCU, I started learning more about you know about uh, about us, you know, about our uh, our history and yeah. stuff like that. So I'm like, wow, this is crazy. So you know, I think just little things like that are huge and. Obviously, you know, more on a, a more a lighter note, just like the band life, man. Like, I got, I got it's big, band. man. Band, let bro. me let me tell you, I, I'm from Memphis, right? So, do you know the um, gosh, what are the Liberty Bowl? They have the uh, the the Battle of the Bands at the Liberty Bowl every year. They have two HBCUs come in and compete. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's yeah. crazy. I didn't I didn't know anything about HBCUs because. My middle school, like third grade through eighth grade, I, I'm in um, California, and that there's not really a big HBCU um, following out there. So I moved back to the South, Memphis, and um, it's just so ingrained. Like we talk about the Kappas and the Alphas and the Sigmas. Like yeah, I, I didn't know anything about fraternity life. I didn't know anything about um, HBCUs oh, yeah. in general. But it's such a a strong culture there, and you can feel it. It's tangible. Oh man, it's just the love, man. At the end of the day, it's just so much love in the air, man. Like I never felt uncomfortable. I was in my element, man. You know, you got the bands going crazy, the the yard, man. All the fraternities, the sororities, mm-hmm. the the Greek, the picnics, man. It's just I don't know. It's just a big family reunion, man. And I don't know. To me, I, I value family, and so just having that feeling was special. And not to mention. Uh, I'm sure a lot of HBCUs are like this as well. Don't just think HBCUs are all black people. Like we actually had a nice percentage of white people. Really? So, and they were, and we were all cool too, man. Yeah, you, yeah, because a lot of these, yeah, I think a lot of these HBCUs are in like these real small cities that are majority white. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you grew up in that city and you don't really want to leave. You just go to that school, so you actually do not. The thing is, it'll look all black because none of them actually stay on campus. Yeah. They actually live in that city, so they'll just go to class and then go back home. But you know, so but still, you know, once you're in the classroom with them, stuff you build relationships with other people as well. So it was just a big family, man. What 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 are we talking like percentage wise? If you if you had to say the percentage of white people that attended your HBCU in particular. <sighs> Man, that actually attended, man. Because, like I said, when you look at the, just look at the, like after a certain time, let's say class is over at five, right? Right. After five o'clock, it looks like it's like ninety-five percent black because mm-hmm. you know class is over with and everybody is staying on campus at that point. Yeah. But 
if you're talking about stupid actually just went to class, shoot, man, it's probably, I'll say about close to 40%. 40%? Yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that's yeah, unexpected. Shocked, wow, 40%. Because I remember the yeah. whole thing blew up. Um, earlier this year where you had the white dude leading the HBCU band and he was doing all like we I forget which school it was but I was like oh that's that's strange it's like a you pick the one checks cereal out of a bowl of cocoa puffs it's like oh snap how'd that happen but 40 percent that that's yeah. shocking to me man Actually, you know, let me let me say, let me calm it down a little bit. Let me okay. think. I thought about. I'll, I'll say I'll say 30. I'll 30 percent. That I mean, that's still a pretty I'll decent chunk though. That's a, that's a pretty yeah, decent I'll chunk. I'll say 30. Man, I didn't. Yeah, know I, that. I think about that. I think about my classrooms and trying to think how many people were in there. Okay, yeah, about thirty. About thirty. I feel you, man. That that that's still surprising. I didn't know that many. I knew it was some, but I didn't know it was that many. Yeah. Um, that's that's cool though. That that's cool. I, I appreciate that. Um, I'm gonna take a little bit of a turn here. Uh, I'm not. I can't think of a great transition. So let's just say we're gonna talk about the Lakers, man. I'm a Lakers fan. You're a Lakers fan. I want to hash some stuff out before we get up out of here. Um, oh, I'm not a Lakers fan. Oh, you're not right. a Lakers fan. I'm not a Lakers fan. Not a Lakers fan. Excuse Lakers me, my bad. I, I, not a Lakers fan. I don't. I don't have any NBA affiliation. I, I'm the LeBron James supporter. Ah, okay, got you. You one of those dudes. You just see, you go follow Miami <laughs> and Cleveland. And <laughs> got you, man. Um, hey, man. I just appreciate greatness, man. Hey, it's hard not to. It's hard not to. That's for damn sure. Um. But the players are entering the bubble, right? Uh, and the food looks disgusting, might I add. That 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 situation looks terrible. But the NBA restart is around the corner, and obviously one of the teams with the most intrigue is the Los Angeles Lakers, right? I'm a Lakers fan. You're not a Lakers fan. You're a LeBron fan. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what what do you think? Uh, well, well, I'll just start here. Avery Bradley's not going. He he's made the decision, which I respect his decision to stay home and, and you know, he has to be conscious, I think, of his kids, right? One of his kids has a situation to where if they contracted COVID it could be proved to be dire. Um, but his absence is gonna obviously hurt. I wanted to ask you how much do you think that'll actually sting the Lakers not having Avery Bradley down there? Um, I'm sound. I don't think it'll be that big of a loss. I mean, especially not to replace them with J.R. Smith. I don't think J.R. Smith is, is better than Avery Bradley to say because he hasn't played in a couple of years, so we really don't know what we're expecting from mm-hmm. him. But, you know, I will say Avery Bradley, you'll probably miss his, you'll miss his defensive intensity on the outside because, I mean, he's very gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an improved three-point shooter as well. But I just feel like that position for the Lakers has been so interchangeable throughout the season because you guys still got KCP who will play better later in the season. Still got Danny Green who uh, has championship experience and can play some defense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now you have J.R. Smith. And then people forget, they got Deion Waiters as well, yeah. who actually was playing pretty good for the Heat last time he was playing. So, before he, I think uh... they're really deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I, I think the Lakers are pretty deep at that, uh, that wing spot, man. So, I think they'll be fine without Avery Bradley. And the interesting thing is, like, all of those people, and I'm, I'm not sure if you, I forget if you bring, brought him up or not, but Taylor Horton Tucker's another dude that I think is going to Orlando. Um, oh, yeah, they, yeah. They all kind of bring different uh, skill sets, right? Alex Caruso, he's a little bit more of a slasher. Um, mm-hmm. Taylor Horton Tucker's like an ISO scorer, same with Deion Waiters. 
J.R. Smith is a little bit more of a floor stretcher. So I think that's something that you can kind of compartmentalize and, and use certain dudes for certain situations. I agree with you 100%. I think that, you know, a lot of people were freaking out about it for no reason. I know he was playing very well for that stretch up until coronavirus hit and they had to postpone the season. But it's like, you know, that was a month. And, you know, we just took three months off from basketball. So the odds that he was going to come back and be that exact same dude off bat slim to none so you know i don't think it's something that's going to kill them it sucks i guess but like if he was going to be the end-all be-all for whether or not they win a championship they probably weren't going to win it in the first place because that shouldn't hinge on avery bradley right right exactly i mean at the end of the day for me the lakers i, I got them winning the championship by the way so i'm sorry if i ruined your next question oh you're good but, <laughs> you know i just i just think they just have the the, the combination of size veteran leadership and the best player in the world which also turns into having the best duo in the league with AD so I just think those factors and plus they have one of the most we don't talk about this guy enough and I understand Frank Vogel mm. is arguably a, a top five coach in the league right top now top five people do people do yeah arguably I would say he's definitely top ten for sure okay but do people forget that he was a game away from going to the finals with Indiana. He lost to the Miami Heat in their big three. I'm like, this guy is a hell of a coach. Yeah. I don't think he gets enough credit. And you could argue, I mean, besides Spo, obviously. I mean, yeah, after Spo, he's easily the second best coach that LeBron has ever had. I'm sorry, he's better than Tyron Lewis. There's no question in my mind about that. So I think he doesn't get enough credit for his defensive schemes. And the way that he keeps everybody's ego in check, I think he's a lot better than we give him credit for. I really believe that. So I think all those factors are going to lead to the Lakers winning the championship. And LeBron is just hungry, man. He won number four very bad. He knows this is probably his best chance to get that next ring right now. Mm. Interesting. You don't think it, you don't think it'll be a, a, as good of a chance next season? No, I think next year will be tougher. I mean, I wouldn't be. They could still win it. I'm not saying that, but I think this year your eyes are the best, just because he he's had so much rest yeah. in year 17. Um, nobody has home court advantage, so let's say they were to play um, a, a Bucks in the finals. Right. The Bucks will have home court advantage because they have a better record, but now there's no home court advantage. So I just think that those factors alone, and then plus you got to mention. Next year, you're going to have more competition because the Warriors are going to be back next year. Yeah. Steph Curry, Clay, Andrew Wiggins, they're going to be a threat next year. People are sleeping on them. The Nets are going to be a threat. I think my East with KD and Kyrie. So it's going to be more competition next year. So this is the year to get it. Yeah, you raised some very good points. I mean, the Nets and the Warriors are definitely going to be sniffing down all these great teams next come next season. But the, the the next question I wanted to pose, because obviously you talked about how great LeBron is, you talk about how great Anthony Davis is, and how great they are as a duo, right? But, you know, I'm of the belief, I'm not so sure, even as great as those two are, that two people alone can get it done. I think there has to be at least one third reliable player that can score on his own, right? We think about a guy like Danny Green. He can score the basketball, but he's a floor stretcher. It's going to take LeBron driving and kicking to an open Danny Green. He can't create his own shot for himself, right? So who do you think is that third cog in, in, in that Lakers piece that, that can separate themselves as that piece that can help the Lakers ascend to a championship-level team? Or do you not think that they need one? 
I don't think they necessarily need it. I think it doesn't have to be a by committee. Mm-hmm. I think if you just have guys like, you know, Dwight Howard, uh, Kuzma, Rondo occasionally, Caruso, Danny Green, Deion Waiters, Jared Smith, like those guys can all just pitch in like six to eight points. I think that would just make up for it. Because I mean a lot of teams don't even have that to where you have a lot of multiple guys that can add, that can get you to ten points a game. So I think the Lakers have like five to six guys outside of LeBron and AD that can score 10 to 15 any given night. So I don't think in that situation you don't need a particular, to say, a third score. But, I mean, if you're talking about who's the most likely that could do it, and if he gets the, the proper amount of playing time, the answer to me is Deion Waiters. That really? guy can get his own offense. He can get his own offense. I mean, if you watch his film, he's a guy that doesn't need LeBron to set him up. He can just say, "Get out of my way," and I'm gonna get my, I'm gonna get a bucket. Interesting. The the, the only I think even dis- more so, even more so than Kuzma. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm frankly out on, on the idea of Kuzma stepping up to being that third guy. At least at this point in his career, he's clearly not ready to take that torch. But you know, the disadvantage for me when we talk about having multiple people that can do it instead of one guy that you know you're going to go to is, you know, it, it's great that you can have multiple people that can step up in that situation. But if you don't know who that one guy is every single time, how do you know who to hand the ball to in that situation if you're the coach, right? You can't. You're, you're you're taking a what could be a one for one, and you're turning it into a one out of six. So you're you're lowering your chances of that guy who you pick to handle the rock or, or be that third scorer. That you know that now the chances are slimmer that he's going to actually show up that night. You know. Yeah, but I mean, just look at LeBron's history, though. His third guy has always been a guy that needed to be set up, right? I mean, look at his third guy in Miami. Chris Bosh wasn't getting his own offense. All right, look at Cleveland. Kevin Love wasn't get, was getting his own offense. He had mm. to he had to have LeBron set him up. So I mean, I think it's the same situation here. Yeah, it's just the reliability, right? Because even though Chris Bosh and Kevin Love had to be set up, and we can argue about Kevin Love and how reliable he was at the end of his tenure, but the idea was with Chris Bosh and Kevin Love, even though they're players who needed a little bit more help, even though prior to going to LeBron teams, they really didn't need all that much help getting set up. It's just the way that LeBron's teams tend to function. There's a little bit more of a heliocentrism with LeBron James being the primary ball handler. Um, but you could rely on a guy like Chris Bosh, and you can rely on a guy like Kevin Love and when you needed to go to him, right? My thing is, if you, if we don't know if it's going to be Contavious Caldwell-Pope one night or Taylor Horton Tucker the next night or Alex Caruso one night or Dwight Howard, if, if you don't know who that guy is going to be, you could easily make the wrong pass and pass it to somebody who doesn't have it that night. You know what I mean? Whereas if you had one no, guy that you know you're going to have it every night. That's a good point. That's a good point. But like you said, I wouldn't say Kevin Love was too reliable in those finals. But yeah, I get, I get, I get your premise, though. I really do. Understood, man. So you already said it. I'll ask it again, though, and I'll, I'll kind of look for a little bit more of a why. Where do you place the Lakers' titles odds at? Which you said they're going to win the championship. And then why do you think that? Uh, why do you think they're the favorite, man? Well, you want a percentage? Yeah, give me a percentage. For Lakers? Yeah. I think they have, I'll say, a 65% chance to win the championship. 65? 65. Yeah, I'm not man. sure which one was more shocking, 30% white people at HBCU or 65%. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which one I'm more surprised. Is that shocking, really? I don't, I mean. I mean who, 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 
Who do you have win the championship? You got the Lakers or somebody else? I'm still very much debating on it, man. I have not solidified a, a singular team that I think is going to win it just because it's a weird year. It's a very, very strange year, and I think that we're what we're about to see transpire in Orlando is something that none of us can predict and it's gonna we're gonna see some strange things happen I don't think we're gonna see the playoffs as they would have played out had the season just ran through just the fact that we took these three months off and some people have been working out and other people's have I mean we talk about Chris Middleton said he hadn't picked up a basketball in three months these things are all gonna come into play and the fact that you go you're taking these guys into what's really a shaky ass situation in Orlando some people are going away from their families all of this stuff is gonna come into play and we're gonna see some really weird outcomes in Orlando so I don't know, man. I, I don't think I'm willing to give any team above a 40% chance of winning just because I, I, I think it's just too volatile. It's too volatile what's, what's what we're about to see transpire. But I'll let you pose your argument, man. 65%, why? Yeah, you kind of made my argument for me. You're talking about like Chris Middleton hasn't picked the ball up in three months. See, this is why I'm so confident in the Lakers because they're led by LeBron James and he holds players accountable. Mm-hmm. You think you don't think LeBron James? He's been in the gym probably every day during mm-hmm. this quarantine, or every other day at the very least. And you don't think that guys are following him, trying to keep up with him on that team? You better believe it, man. And the fact that they have so much veteran leadership on their team, and not just veteran leadership, I'm talking about championship leadership. LeBron's a champion. Rondo's a champion. Danny Green's a champion. Dwight Howard's been to the finals. Mm. McGee is a champion. J.R. Smith is a champion. Like, they have plenty of guys that have been in situations before. So they don't need the extra reps as much as other teams do because they know what it takes to get the job done. And when you're led by a guy like LeBron James, who's the best leader in basketball, during this time, having this time off in year 17, he is going to be so refreshed. And, you know, you got the Bucks, who I like the Bucks, but I was never that sold on them, especially because Giannis cannot make a jump shot consistently. And they're a team that, to me, that needed home court advantage, right? And they played hard to get that. But now there's no home court advantage. So if they go to the finals, the Lakers are going to be like, we don't have to go to Milwaukee for a game seven? Oh, bring it on. We're just a better team than you. Because mm. I think they needed home court to give them an extra extra push, you know? And look at the Clippers. I like the Clippers. I think the Clippers are the biggest threat to the Lakers. But the thing is, they haven't played that many games together. Thank you. Thank you. I've they, been saying they that. Needed, I, I, they, they needed the extra reps. No they doubt. They needed that. No doubt. And that low management stuff is going to come back to bite them now. Because some games that they could have been playing, they were low managing. So I just think... Who else is going to beat the Lakers? The Bucks need a home court. The Clippers don't have the chemistry. I just don't see how the Lakers are not going to win. I, I see your point, and uh, you raised points about both Milwaukee and the Clippers that um that I, I hold myself, and that the, the Clippers, I think, are going to have a serious cohesion issue in that the team that's going to walk out on that court in Orlando really has not played together at any point this season. There's always been somebody down, somebody injured, somebody taking some games off, somebody getting traded into the fold. That team, that roster, has not played together yet, so that there's definitely going to be cohesion issues, and I think you agree with me on that but I don't know man the the teams that I think are going to have the greatest advantage in Orlando are the ones that knew exactly who they were 
going before the the postponement, right? They, they there's no issues about who's going to do what in what situations, who gets what minutes. The teams that had their identity set are going to have the greatest advantage. A team that I always think about as a dark horse um, and a friend of mine, Julio, he had them as a dark horse before the uh, season was postponed. I really think they're a dark horse now just because of they have a very strong identity, Miami Heat. Oh, oh okay, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't mention the team. I was actually had come out the East. I don't even have the Bucks coming out of the East. I just mentioned them because they're their favorite. Gotcha. I actually have the Raptors coming out of the East. Yeah, and I, a lot of people agree with you though on that. I just wonder... In those moments where we saw Kawhi step up for the Raptors in those those late game situations last season, who takes the mantle? Right, I don't think I trust Pascal to be that guy yet. Um, Fred VanVleet, now Kyle Lowry, hell no. Like, I don't know who takes those late game situations for him, which is my biggest concern with the Raptors. Wow, I mean, Kyle Lowry played big in the finals last year. He did, but Fred he played Van big did. in a supplementary role to. Um, Kawhi Leonard, right? It wasn't like Kyle Lowry was leading the charge in any sense, which is what you'd essentially be asking him to do now. I'm not sure if he's ready to do that. I disagree with that. I fundamentally disagree with that. Mm. <laughs> but I, I think Siakam's ready too, though, so I believe that Siakam. I think he's ready. I mean, I know he was the second guy last year, but he shows me that he's ready to take that next step, and I believe him. I can he see it. If, if, what I'm saying is, like, if the Raptors get through the East, it's going to have to be 10-point victories and 15-point victories. I'm not sure how good they're going to be come crunch time when, when that game gets a lot slower and it's a lot more ISO-oriented, right? When it's a little bit tighter, I'm not sure how the, that, that Raptors team is going to fare, at least at this particular juncture, which is why I like Miami, because I know Jimmy Butler steps up in those situations time and again. Um, then again. Yeah, we, we disagree on this so hard because I don't believe in Miami at all. I think they're I think they're overrated. Really, man, I might have to yeah, have you back Jimmy on the on the show. We can if talk Jimmy about Butler is your, if Jimmy Butler is your best player. You can't go past the second round. I'm sorry. Wow, man, yeah. I, I'm coming. We're, we're coming up on the hour, so because that you just opened up a real big can of worms that I think you know that warrants a larger discussion. So I won't have it now. Um, but you know, we might, we might have to hash that out on another episode, man. Cause I, I, I disagree with you. I, I very, I very much yeah, disagree Miami, with you. Miami Heat is no threat at all in the playoffs. Wow. No okay. All right. And on that note, <laughs> um, <laughs> man, I wish we could have that conversation, but, uh, we're running out of time here on the Reagan Griffin Jr. So, man, I appreciate you again for coming on. This is, this was a really good conversation. One of the better ones I've had. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. I'm definitely going to come back for the playoffs now since you're on this Miami Heat bandwagon. Thing. I am. I, I'm deep in it, man. I, I'm deep on the Miami Heat bandwagon. I think I might stand alone because everyone that I've brought that up to, they even tell, looking at me like I'm crazy. So, uh, yeah, you, yeah, you're pretty crazy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but no, thank you for having me, though, man. I really appreciate it. No doubt, man. We, go, we definitely have to hash that out at some point. But appreciate you for coming on. Thank you to all of you who tuned in to the Reagan Griffin Jr. Show. Make sure you go follow the social media at the RG2 Show. That is both on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure you go check out Mr. Ganell's. Anything else you want to plug, man, before we get up out of here? I don't want to. I want to give you the floor a little bit. Yeah, just uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark A. Gunnels. Follow my podcast, Mark My Words. Type in Mark My Words Sports. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio. Awesome. 
all that good stuff make sure you guys go check it out Con uh, continue to support mark and what he's doing continue to support me and what i'm doing and you know we'll, we'll, we'll see how that ends up when miami heat is playing the lakers in the finals man we'll definitely have to hash that conversation out but thanks again for coming on thank you guys for tuning in i will see you next week Jokey beat.